Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jaina Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And today, there's no love lost between the Eternals and the God of Thunder. Excelsior. I agree enthusiastically. Yeah, this was a... I... If you hear me trying to figure out what to say, it's because I don't know what to say about the second half of this. What I was expecting was not what we got. Uh, I went into this pretty, uh, you know, I didn't really know what was going on. I probably should have. <laughs> you didn't know what was going on like you were confused or you didn't know what was going on like you uh, could never have predicted this eventuality. I could never have predicted it. I mean, I also had trouble figuring out what was going on. Uh, That's a problem, because I was really hoping you would explain it to me. (laughs) I could try. I can try. There were parts where I was like, what are we doing now? Uh, I just have to ask, what happened with with our boy Rory here? Do you know? Do you know why the second half of this, the Eternals saga, or even the Celestial saga, features maybe two issues with the Eternals and the Celestials? So this was... uh, Thor volume one numbers 292 through 301 and the vast majority of them barely featured Thor even uh, or or did it because oh, um, yeah. God you're right I yeah God I am right gods I am right but um <laughs> I, I I don't know I, I looked uh, for the answer to this question and did not def- find a definitive answer however, do you remember the old uh, Marvel Essentials? Do you remember no. those trades? Oh, 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 the Essentials. Um, yeah. Are those the ones that were like black and white reprints? Yes, yes, they were black and white, and the paper was a little flimsier than like a glossy trade. Mm-hmm. Um, those were uh, pretty popular when I was selling comics, and the name they they all had names on the spine, and they all were, and there was a certain run of like chronological issues. Uh huh. But a lot of the time, the name didn't cover... Like, not all the issues in the story um, are part of the titular story. There's, like, a bunch of other issues that came out around those. I find that happens especially with Bronze Age comics. And also even stuff with, like... um, Like, I have a bunch of uh, Hellboy. Not Hellboy, sorry. uh, Hellblazer on my shelf. Uh Uh-huh. And the Hellblazer uh, paperback that I have that's called The Family Man does include the issues of The Family Man, but then it just includes all the other issues around that. Oh, was this from the new release? What, my my Hellblazer trades? Yeah. This was the second uh, <laughs> the second printing of Hellblazer trades, the first one after the series had concluded. Okay, so the like that complete collection. Yeah, I believe it's called Hellblazer, the complete collection. Cool. Um, this still doesn't include the school shooting story that was never p- published again. I thought that was published. I feel like but I read the, that one. In a separate trade. It was never in the complete collection. Oh, okay. And that's that's me talking Hellblazer, which is secretly maybe my favorite comic or a real contender. I mean, I could probably talk to you about that too. I find, I finished and read, read the whole thing. All 300 issues? All 300 issues. The Peter Milligan stuff was weird. Really weird. Now that's a podcast, all of Hellblazer. Now that's what I call podcasting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a terrible name for a podcast, but I certainly love I'm it. Almost certain it exists. Okay, but you asked me 
what happened with Roy, our boy. Yes. And I don't know if there's a definitive answer to that, but we were talking about a lot of uh, uh, Roy's, um, like, predilections and interests in writing. We're talking about Roy Thomas, I guess we should mention. I don't think we've said his name on this episode yet. Oh, yeah, we haven't. Actually, let me let me just get all the credits out of the way, because for this one, the credits are actually pretty simple, uh, as opposed to the last time where it was a real mishmash, because it's... Written by Roy Thomas uh, until we get to issues like 298 and then Ralph, Mon- Ralph Macchio, who was an editor at the time uh, and a writer, takes over writing duties in conjunction with Mark Gruenwald. Uh, and then Keith Pollard penciled the whole thing with Chick Stone as the inker. Uh, except for on issue 300, which was Gene Day. Uh, and then the whole thing was lettered by Joe Rosen and colored by Carl Gafford. Yeah, which is a pretty... Um, there's like a mix of familiar and unfamiliar names in there, but that's like a pretty uh, standard Marvel roster from yeah. around this time. And it's kind of um, weird that we had a whole bunch of like changes in letters and colorists and pencilers and and whatnot during the last half but this time it's very consistent so whatever they did they they got it done they found a team that could turn in their work consistently and on time and they decided to stick with those guys yep for uh for a weird one for a weird one so i've actually um oh but but before i get into that um i think I feel, I know, Roy Thomas was, like, really into uh, Marvel licensing stuff and adapting stuff and doing non-Marvel comic properties with, like, the Marvel budget and Mm -hmm. talent. And these issues, as I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit, (laughs) I don't know how deep I want to get into this topic, uh, are based on Wagner operas. Did he have to get the license for that? That's a great question. I have to imagine that's public domain. Yeah. And I I actually work in uh, licensing and copyright lately. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it changes like uh, it's, it, it, I, it would be difficult for me to figure out easily if it was public domain, because every couple of years, Disney does some sort of lawsuit that pushes public domain another couple of decades. God. We're, we're coming to the singularity that I think it's uh, tw- uh, January 2023 is currently when Mickey Mouse is scheduled to go public domain. Oh, are they going to fight it again? Well, that's where we're all holding our breath. So 2033, mark it in your phone calendars. 2033. Yes. Okay. I was like, 2023, that's right here. Oh, um, I must have misspoke. Yeah, 2033 is when Mickey Mouse Ooh. copyright expires now. We'll see. I'm currently collecting paychecks from the Disney company doing copyright stuff for them. <laughs> so I had to read a whole handbook. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, it's interesting. Uh, there's a bunch of estates that love to sue Disney, and they don't want you to... Well, I probably... Uh, yeah, I should leave this... Good, leave good idea mis- to leave it myster- mysterious. Yeah, leave, uh, yeah, I should leave them some mystery to how they conduct their business. But anyway, um, so I imagine that Roy Thomas liked adapting i guess what i like the nerds literary canon and and wagner operas have dragons and shit yeah i don't know why he chose to do the rings of the nibelung though or the ring cycle 
Why he or Wagner at all? I guess because he was going like it's Norse, <laughs> it's related to, to this. I can easily slot it in. Um, well, I I have a theory as, a little bit as to um why that why uh, Wagner specifically was appealing to Thomas, but we'll get there when that part of the story comes up. I think. Okay. Okay. So that we'll, part I we'll want to leave table, it at that, that. That's like a bigger. Um. A bigger thing I would like to discuss, but uh, you you want to discuss a retcon? You said what retcon? Yeah. So uh, what I wanted to know was I don't know if you know or if whatnot. So this whole section is basically formatted as a giant retcon to the origin of the Norse gods in the Marvel universe. Yes, uh, and specifically Thor's origin, and it's kind of been teased out uh, at the end. You know. Odin was going to kill Thor, and then at the beginning of the next issue, Odin's like, but I can't kill my son again. And, o- <laughs> and Thor's like, what do you mean? But that wasn't the retcon I was talking about. I was specifically talking about the retcon of Thor's parentage. Because right. he is not the son of Frigga, who is Odin's wife at this time. Uh, eventually, Freya becomes Odin's wife. I have no idea where that comes in. Um, that's like post all of this, but then also Thor. So like, this is the story that details Thor's new origin, both as, you know, current Thor and also like who, who was he born to? And like, it's mysterious through the whole thing. Like who is this random earther that is Thor's mom, which is why he's got connected to Earth. But I don't know if that part was that part of retcon or was the reveal of who his mom eventually was, which turns out to be Gaia, the god of Earth, Mother Earth, basically. The embodiment um, of Earth. Yeah, the embodiment of Earth. Thank you. Um, the co- the cosmic entity of Earth. Oh, I love this mythological comic shit. I, you better believe um, Sandman is my crack was this a thing before this like what was was thor's parentage in any sort of disarray or was was this like he always was said to be like not frigga's son and they just didn't really care I I must admit, you know, I've I've read Marvel comics from every era, but I haven't read this is probably some of the earliest Thor stuff I've ever Uh read um, I guess I've read like uh, the journey into mystery issue where he first shows up and stuff, but like this is the longest stretch of old Thor comics I've ever read, so I don't actually know if this, but it sure felt like it was supposed to be a twist, right? Yeah, because it's revealed at the end, and like he gets powers from it. I don't know. The whole thing is very weird. So when I was first getting back into Marvel in 2008-2009, I was catching up on the J. Michael Straczynski, the JMS Thor run, which I still love. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, and when he left that book in a huff because of all the drama that had been happening, which we've talked about on a previous episode. Go check out our episode about uh, J. Michael Straczynski's, uh, what was that story we read? Uh, was it Silver Server Requiem? Yeah, that was it. Silver Server Requiem is where we talk about him extensively. Mm-hmm. Um. But, um, and then Kieran Gillen takes over from that, and those stories had a lot to do with Thor's relationship with Gaia, his birth mother. Yeah. And and that's where I'm first familiar with that from. And I actually have read one of these issues before, which I had alluded to earlier, issue 300, 
um, because mm. I was buying all the trades of Matt Fraction's Thor run, which he was writing um, opposite Kieran Gillen's Journey into Mystery run. Mm-hmm. 2008, 2009, around those times. Yeah. And and I, which I, and I love those books. And uh, in the back of the trade, Matt Fraction would, like, give his reading lists of, like, what he do, had inspired the stories, what he was following up on. And he mentioned uh, Thor 300. Hmm. So I tracked it down however I was reading them then. Yeah, you, you found it. I mean, I don't even remember. Like, this is pre-comicsology. Oh. Oh, wow. Um, hmm. Maybe it was from a DVD from the drugstore. I had a bunch of those. <laughs> you never know. You'll, you'll find it in a random long box in your closet, and you're like, oh, that's where it is. Um... That would be incredible if I had a copy of Thor 300. Are you kidding? I would probably be taking terrible care of it. My long box is not wonderfully stored. It's not bagged and bored and hermetically sealed? I got bags and boards in there, but I, my long box is not like in a climate-controlled space per se. Yeah, it's kind of hard to have those. I have a lot. I also, I say my long boxes. I have one long box and then a bunch of short boxes because I just like carrying them more. They don't sag in the middle. Hmm. I just have a drawer full of comics. I mean, that's... That's probably really not I, how it should be stored when you work at a comic shop you have so much easier access to like those supplies like i, I would just carry oh. uh short boxes home with me on the subway at night and also like uh bags and boards would get like separated out throughout the day because we'd be using them for the product in the store and then at the end of the day you know uh we paid 25 cents or whatever and take a bunch home that's fair that's that's a good way of handling it yeah, yeah. call it a per- call it a perk of the job um <laughs> The other so thing, I guess like, we've been... Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, the other thing I kind of wanted to talk talk about here that I was talking a little bit around before, before we actually get into, like, the contents of this, um, is... The, so, we've talked a lot before about, like, you know, Marvel Comics pacing and Bronze Age pacing, Silver Age pacing, like, the different pacing um, approaches in the different eras. And I felt so strongly about this set these sets of issues in a way i have not of any of the other ones so far feel strongly is kind of a uh, still very elusive what do you mean well i mean what i mean is i was so bored the whole time <laughs> and i'm like okay. how slow could these issues go while also being like this whole self-contained side story that just happens in the middle of a larger narrative. I'm like, this feels like it happened all the time in these classic comics. You know, there'd be <laughs> stuff always going on and like we just suddenly branch off for, for four or five issues doing something else that's tangentially related because they wanted to do something. And then we'll come back and check in on this other thing because that's just how it goes. It wasn't very focused um, in um, the same way. Uh, Elias, can I offer you our first, my first hot take and our first uh, coming to conflict? Please do. I did not like these comics. I agree. They were boring and um, they weren't very well. They weren't very well put together. Uh, they, they were weaker than the first batch for sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I really liked the pacing of these. Really? Well, the pacing was okay. one of the things I liked the best. Like within the issues, within the issues and the from issue to issue, okay. I liked 
I one of the things I like about the Bronze Age is how um, they'll juggle, and this is early Bronze Age, so we, maybe that's part of it. But where um, it's not like you'll get an arc where you're following a bunch of characters doing one thing, and then the next arc follows a bunch of characters, some of the same, some different, doing a different thing. Mm-hmm. In the Bronze Age, like every issue, you'll check in and like four of thirteen or so ongoing stories that you're juggling, and they fade in and out. And by the late Bronze Age, like if you're reading um, Claremont uh, Davis Excalibur, mm-hmm. it's they're doing it like so effortlessly and fluidly, where they'll just like show a character and they'll broadcast like remember this this will be important and then forget about it for a just a right amount of time and then come back into it oh okay what i really uh-huh. what what i really like about that bronze age pacing is it leaves the room for like these sorts of like one shots that feel kind of like uh these spe- more special adventures uh-huh so like uh, a classic example of uh, claremont and simonson are the guys who are most famous for doing this sort of pacing well mm-hmm um, so like, uh, oh my God, I can't remember the number of the issue off the top of my head, but the uncanny X-Men issue titled Wounded Wolf. Do you know about this issue? No. Do not um, ask me issue numbers of uncanny X-Men. I I'm know sorry. None it's of issue, them. it's, uh, uncanny X-Men number 205 is the issue. Okay. And it's, um, drawn by Barry Windsor Smith. It's got, uh, oh. beautiful Barry Windsor Smith art. But the entire, uh, issue is just, um these new villains who are the reavers show up for the first time and they're menacing wolverine in the middle of a blizzard and the entire issue is just like this cool like small uh scope action movie of wolverine hiding in the snow from these cyborg assassins huh and and he gets hurt and he's trying to protect this kid and his healing factor is not working as fast as he's hoping it is but it's in the face of the big soap opera, suddenly there's no checking in with the soap opera. We're just focusing on this, like, one awesome Wolverine movie. Hmm. And that's kind of how the Wagner stuff felt to me here. It's, but it wasn't, like, I, I didn't think it was great comics. I thought it was, like, so-so comics. And if you're not already predisposed to, like, Wagner opera, it's pretty boring. Oh, yeah. That, for but, sure. I think also I thought it was be- cool. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool diversion to take like that was like a bold decision and i get why he did it and i actually kind of think that it worked in the scope of the thor comic just as like something completely different Mm-hmm. i can see that uh, do you think was this common like this kind of like long diversion where you know you're still like basically like you kind of fall into a pit and then you're stuck in the pit for a while and then you finally get out and like what happened in the pit was important but your journey is still, you're just continuing back on the previous journey. Yeah, the comic that I think, uh, uh, just Bronze Age Spider-Man, like the Jerry Conway Spider-Man stuff, has like a lot of that sort of thing where like suddenly Spider-Man will be like in a weird place or... For like 10 issues. Yeah. Because this was a, this was nearly a year that they were doing well, not this. all of it was, not all of it was, um was the Wagner stuff. Uh, issue 293 to 300. I guess guess technically 293 wasn't the Wagner stuff, but even that was, like, the start of the Wagner stuff. Well, I feel like the... 
the di- it feels more like a diversion starting with 294, which is uh, the origin of Odin. Yes, yes, yes. And then from there, uh, issues um, like uh, issues 296 and uh, 297, like Sword of Siegfried is the name of that one, uh, hmm. and Dragon's Blood. They're just like, um, now we're really adopting uh, like Norse folklore almost almost directly with like uh sometimes like minimal thor appearances yeah i just i was like i'm checked out i'm good see ya (laughs) but we should probably take a break and then when we're back kind of get more into that Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And welcome back. We are here to be talking about the great, the mighty Thor uh, and his adventures with Odin's floating eyeball. Oh man, yeah, a lot of floating eyeball stuff. And like, uh, Elias, so like, are you a big Norse mythology nerd? No, but I'm fairly familiar with it uh, through this, through elsewhere, and through like Neil Gaiman's American Gods. You ever read Neil Gaiman's North mythology? Norse no, mythology? No, I still need to. I did. I were. I did read the comics. The comics were cool. Yeah. The um. The book is like really you can feel Neil Gaiman is a dad writing a book for other dads. <laughs> uh, but like that's not a crime. That's no, it's, a, a, it's a fine vibe. Yeah, dads can read too. <laughs> um So here's I think part of the motivation for and maybe if we read more Thor stuff, um I was digging through the wikis trying to get some context because that's how I like to do this stuff. And I think a lot of doing this has to do with the presence of Valkyrie, the Marvel superhero known as Valkyrie. Oh, how so? Um, well, so Valkyrie is, um, for those less familiar, because um, she was played by Tessa Thompson, but that, but in the comics, that's not really the character of Valkyrie so much. And then, like, there has been a te- more Tessa Thompson-looking and acting personality, but okay, I'm, I guess I'm just uh, talking around it. So Valkyrie is first introduced in the pages of Defenders in 1972, okay. um, which was uh, an issue um, oh, covered, covered 873, uh, written by Steve Englehart, drawn by Sal Buscema. So, like, guys who are also still around and have to do with these Thor issues, right? Yeah. And, um... When Valkyrie shows up, she is like, I don't, the tone of it is completely like awful now, but I think it was true. It was like, it had innocent intent when it was first coming out. Okay. Um, yeah. How do you like this as a lead up to something, which is that, um, Valkyrie is a parody of the women's liberation movement. 
Will uh, you uh, turn your attention to the uh, chattel eyes? I'm going to drop the uh, cover of the first issue Valkyrie appears in. I'm Can afraid read... to look. Will you read to our listeners what Valkyrie is saying on the cover? Fellow defenders, your foes attacked, and you puny males are too weak to stand against them. But I can. And then on the bottom it says, Valkyrie rides again. And that's like the vibe of Valkyrie when they first introduce her, is that she is a superhero who's like really into women's lib to like cartoonish extents that like get her and other people into trouble. If she, if only she did the sensible, less liberated thing. <laughs> um... It's plagued for goofs is how it feels when I'm reading it. Like, it doesn't sound... I mean, they, they do disrespect women because none no, uh, none of these boys respected women. Um, But it doesn't sound like they disagree with the goals of the women's lib movement. Like, it, uh, Namor and Doctor Strange and Hulk all get, like, fall on their ass for sexism, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Valkyrie's name is established to be Brunhilde. Yes. And I don't exactly know when this was first introduced, but um, but she's established to be the Brunhilde of mythology, of, like, Norse mythology, and the lover of Sigmund, or Siegfried. Uh-huh. And those events are covered in these issues. So oh. my... I, what I, I guess what I deduce from that is that so they were going to give Valkyrie more of an origin, and the reason they called her Brunhilde was to tie into the Wagner opera Brunhilde, because that's kind of what her she's visually evoking, right? Yes. And um, and and they wanted to make that feel like more of a character with a history, and so they were trying to like uh, show where she falls in the Thor timeline and what their relationship was like, because Brunhilde is supposed to be Valkyrie in this. Yeah, I mean, they. she, it's she eventually just straight shows up, up in costume. Br- Brunhilde. Yeah, yeah. But so that's why I feel like this is supposed to be a Valkyrie origin, and that's the reason for the Wagner opera adaptation. Okay. That doesn't make it good comics. I just no. think that's why we're... Why Wagner? Like, why are we adapting that version specifically? And I think that's because that's where they got the character from. And they always kind of wanted to do this story. Okay. It was always... It was always written into her DNA, and this is the place they found for it. Sure. (laughs) I'm just... The whole thing... Just... I don't know why I was so bored. I don't know why I was not bought into the... Retelling of the, the ring cycle with these characters. I guess just every... I think it's just... Roy Thomas told a bad story. Yeah, you're right. Like, uh, his prose was boring, and there was a lot of it. He was really excited to show you how smart he was and how much he remembers of the ring cycle. Yeah, but he he didn't make enough of it compelling, and, like, baffling things would happen. Like It reads like a, like a bad English teacher trying to get yeah. you a good book. Like, Sigmund, like, the relationship between Sigmund and Siglinda... They're supposed to be twins who were separated at birth, but then they fall in love, and then then they're dead, and then their kid is also Thor, and that's Siegfried? Yeah, 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 and I had a thought about this as well. And then Siegfried was, um... finds Valkyrie, who was banished, and that, it, like, it the opposite way instead of Brunhilde becoming Valkyrie it's Valkyrie becomes Brunhilde of myth you know that's how they square that circle 
Yeah. You know what this actually, you know what else this kind of reads to me like, or what it feels like? What? Before we came on the air, we were kind of uh, grumbling about uh, MCU stuff. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, the I, I've heard a criticism that I agree with somewhat, that uh, there's so much, like, MCU garbage that's explaining other MCU bullshit that just, like, uh, it's clear you didn't have an idea for a story. You just, like, uh, felt the compulsion to answer this plot hole, this perceived plot hole. Uh-huh. And that's what these comics feel like to me. It feels like um, every, all of these guys liked reading the old Thor comics, and they were just, and they were so excited to plug in all the continuity holes and to write their fanfic about it. And it feels like MCU stuff, where it's like, that's an explanation for this, but it's not a story. Correct. Yeah. And that's and kind I of how I... I guess that's what happens. Yeah. I guess that just like that level of self-indulgence, it comes in the cycle of creation in the second generation. I guess, yeah. I don't, I don't have much grander thoughts on it other than ring cycle bad. I, Odin's eyeball annoying. Odin's eyeball, super annoying. So, so annoying. You, you, you're like a... So Wagner, so Wagner. Let's so talk about Wagner. Wagner. I don't, I don't like Wagner as a as a person. I don't like his associations. But I'm sure the story. I really want to read, and I have it. I got a, the our library had withdrawn it. P. Craig Russell adapted the Ring Cycle into comics, and like P. Craig Russell is an amazing storyteller. Absolutely. I, I yeah, I've not, I've not read that, but I've seen it and been tempted. So. I kind of want to read that next and be like, did he tell this story better? But, you know, this one is also seen through the lens of superhero comics, of Thor. So, you know, very different. There's, like, annoying continuity stuff. Because, like, the Gaia shit isn't in the ring cycle. No, yeah, that's true. Um, And and that's where the... the, And and also, this is supposed to be an Eternals conversation, but, like, the Eternals presence in this comic is very weird and... Minor. Yeah, I feel like we should talk about the Eternals at the end, because that's when they show up again. Uh, mostly because I want to grouse about this uh, more. <laughs> yeah, well, I, for one, got uh, really fixated on... There was this whole thing where Odin was talking about a previous Ragnarok, and they were like, what? Ragnarok's already happened? And this was just like a lot of business that didn't add anything. It was. And then once that was settled, I'm like, okay, they're going to do, you know, an, an issue or two. And we're, then we're going to go back to the main plot. Thor's going to find out what he needs to know. And this is, I think, why I'm like, I was so bored because I was waiting for them to get to the end because of how it's framed. This isn't like he's going off on to do another thing. It keeps cutting. So for those who have gotten this far in and haven't read it, uh, I apologize, but also you're saving yourself from, from reading some truly dull comics. But the basic gist is after the end of, after, you know, Odin tried to kill Thor at the end of the la- last time he refuses, he throws away his spear and then Thor's like, I need answers. I'm going to find the eye that Odin plucked out of his head because the eye will have answers. He finds well, the eye. He threw it down to the w- bottom of the well to get in exchange for wisdom of magic. Yeah, and there's a there's a hole in the bucket, dear Eliza. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to keep myself entertained somehow. Somehow, singing little songs. Um, and he finds the eye. The eye's grown to massive size and is terrorizing a bunch of Keebler elves. And then the I eye. I think this is to be dwarves of Nidavellir. Oh, I, th- I think you're right. 
Odin, uh, Thor threatens the eyeball. The eyeball's like, fine, you can ask me one question. He asks him, what was it? What was the question? Was it like, what is mom? Who is his mom? Or is it like, why did my dad try to it kill me? It wasn't directly about his mom. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm look. I'm looking through. He he recapped the the previous one. The oh, it was like why did Zeus not Zeus? Why did Odin um say that he had killed him once before and like had bowed his his knees to to the you know the Celestials? And you'd think that the Celestials example. would be oh. so important. Well, that's annoying because that's my biggest gripe with all of this, but. Um, you'd think that this would just be an opportunity for dramatic storytelling where like the moment when a magical thing says, I will grant you the answer to any question. That's like a big opportunity to ask a really interesting question to do some sort of monkey's paw. Be careful what you wish for. Like there's a lot of directions you could take that in. And this like Thor asked this like complicated question that I like, it's hard to wrap your head around. And then he gets like a related answer that like, start. it's just like, that's level of sloppiness to the story. It's a shaggy dog these, tale. Yeah, and all these little moments I can have like the shape of a drama, like if someone outlined the story, but no dramatic things happen and, and the tone's not dramatic. Yeah, and the eyeball keeps berating Thor for being impatient, and I'm like, okay, the first couple issues, Thor is being ridiculous and like is demanding answers of whatever at every two seconds. But then by the fifth issue... When we haven't even gotten back to, like, Odin or the Celestials or anything to do with anything. All right. Now I just want to punch the eyeball in the in the cornea. Yeah. Well, because so then it turns into these flashbacks. Oh, and I had a... I, I mean, this was so badly presented, but I thought that the idea of making Thor into Siegfried, right? Not Not the other one. Uh, Zygmunt and then Siegfried. Um, well, I thought this had to do with the Donald Blake thing. I thought that this was to show that Thor has been attached to, like, mortals on Midgard before. And this happens every so often. That was my, my thought, too. Like, that was kind of the explanation of, like, why is Thor so tied to Earth? You know, because that's one of his big questions in the last time. It's like, why... He's so tied to Earth, and Odin's like, how... You know, this was my mistake, and, like, I don't know. The whole thing feels... Such a weird, dumb question, too. What is... How am I tied to Earth? You, you just like it, man. That's not a yeah. mystery to me. So, uh, yeah, the, we get an answer of there was a Ragnarok. Before the Ragnarok, that was the false Ragnarok, which, you know, we didn't read it. It happened right before this. So it must have been right on the minds of all the readers. Uh, and then we get, you know, as you said, the full ring cycle where there are apparently now new... Asgardian gods from the old ones that formed Voltron style into Odin. So Odin isn't even like a single person, which is what the oh, yeah. Odin force is. Yeah, he's like a force that exists separately. And there was like these five like statues or fucking whatever, these figurines that he was combining. Yeah. And that, like represented. It, I, it was terrible. It, was it doesn't terrible. make any sense and it was boring. Yeah. And then we get the ring cycle and then we get the resolution to the celestial stuff there's the general the general shape of all this but as you could tell i'm frustrated jane is frustrated 
just trying to sum it up in a way that we could then talk about it without having to stop every five seconds to be like, oh, right. And then, you know, Balder, who didn't die and was resurrected, reached down and found some chess pieces or figures that looked like the previous Norse gods, you know, like traditional you'd find in a storybook. And then they became the Marvel version I don't know. I don't know. I just, I gave up. I, I feel like. Oh, and then it all happened at the time of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was one AD. They were specific about that. It was such a weird detail. It um, really was. I, I, um, it's, I would say that these issues feel like a wiki article about the, the thing. Cause that kind of seems like their intention. But honestly, they're too confusing to be a wiki article. And then I got to thinking about the people who actually wrote the wiki articles. And they had to make some, like, firm, hard decisions about the meaning of these issues that I don't think the issues make. No, they, yeah. I haven't read the wiki, so I don't know. Well, just, like, stuff like, um, they had to decide that, like, definitively Gaia is Thor's mother and that Odin was the five guys who erased the memories of everybody using the Odin Force yeah, I don't even, it's like not even, that's not clear that that's what's going on exactly. And I think the wiki is the one that specifies that they're figurines yeah. or whatever that are getting combined, which they could just be five guys. They don't look artificial to me. They just look like characters. I think, I think Balder was the only one that was alive still. And then he, him touching the thing and the stuff i don't i don't know well okay so that i thought had to do with um you know yeah you know about the eddas elias you know there's the prose edda and the poetic edda yeah oh it was only nine nine asgardians survived og ragnarok well so uh for anyone who's like into mythology folklore shit Mm -hmm. um the poetic Edda is the older version of, like, the uh, tradition of the Norse story of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and later there was a prose version written down, but that one was written by, like, uh, after the advent of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of very Christian imagery in this. So this is, like, the second known recording of these stories. Uh-huh. And um, it's specifically one of the big changes is Baldur becomes very Christ-like and he survives Ragnarok and then like repopulates the next world in this very like born-again Christian oh, kind of vibe. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought was going on here because they tied it to the time of Christ because it's 1 AD and then the way that Baldur like survives to begin the cycle in you. Huh. And again... Like, I think, I hope that was sort of an interesting explanation. I was an English teacher for a little while. No, that But, what... like, Roy Thomas is a terrible English teacher. I would hate this class. Oh, yeah. And there was also, there were a whole bunch of things where even Roy couldn't keep his own plot straight, where he had one character in one issue be the son of the another character from another issue, and then in the next issue, he's the brother of that same character, and the son's oh, a different character. Oh, sucked. <laughs> Oh my god. And they all look they look the same and I think it was like I don't know if it's supposed to be mime or mime. Mime. It was it a mimir. No, but it's not mimir. It's M I M E. And then there was yeah, mimir and then there was this was uh you know before Dragon's Blood it was in Siegfried. 
I don't know. I I just I'm I'm flipping through these and I'm like, what what was going on? There's a bunch of fire. Thor right, gets drugged. I'm gonna, I'm gonna no prize this. I'm gonna no prize this. All right, wait before you no prize it. I just, how many times does Odin wipe people's memory? Why why is that the go to answer? I mean, in other Silver Age series, like Reed Richards and Professor X are always erasing people's memories, right? I guess, but why? Why? So you can do a dramatic plot twist and follow it through for a minute and then cancel it and get the status quo going. Illusion of change. Uh, it just makes me dislike Odin more, which I guess is fine. Yeah, I mean, Odin is not there to be liked. I was thinking about how in Marvel Comics, Thor and Loki are brothers. Okay. But in in Norse mythology, it's Odin and Loki who are brothers. They're blood brothers. They swear a, a brotherly oath to each other. Okay. And that make and so Loki is Thor's uncle, and I actually think that makes their dynamic way more fun and funny because like Thor can't take his like mischievous uncle anywhere you know he's got like this like older uncle figure who's like walking around with him and he's like not that much older but he's like clearly should be the um adulterer in the relationship but thor has to be the one who's like keeping him from misbehaving yeah that's just so much funnier than your baby brother if it's your uncle it, it, it yeah it actually really is but so maybe Roy Thomas was alluding to that, showing that he knew that in mythology, uh, Thor and Loki's relationship was not as brothers, but as uncle and nephew. And so he was blending the uncle-nephew stuff as it was getting lost to the ages. I don't know. There's a no prize in there. I think I think you did a, a pretty good job of, of bringing us the no prize. Roy Thomas would award us, I think, but yeah. I don't think Roy Thomas uh, had like terribly high standards no. about uh, awarding no prizes. No. So you wanted to also talk about the 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 dragons because there are some some classic dragons here. Oh, just like um, I know this cover. We had this issue in Midtown Comics when I was working there, um, and um, like Thor using his hammer to fight a dragon is fucking cool. Good drawing of a dragon by uh, Keith Pollard. Mm-hmm. Also, like uh, the the Keith Pollard art. I really liked this issue. I thought it was uh, probably my favorite of all the issues we read for this one. Yeah, it's weird. His stuff is kind of inconsistent throughout these issues. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they're less so good. Um, Yeah. And it's not really a change in uh, inker, except like issue 300. You can tell that there's a different inker on it. Um, The shadows are a lot darker. There's a lot more of it. Good catch. Uh, you're you're much better with inkers than I am. I, right. I'm always trying to improve. <laughs> I, it's hard because sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's hard to tell which could be good or bad. Um, but um, I did notice the change in writer, and I wonder if Roy Thomas was yanked off of the book because he was not letting the ring cycle end. Because you could feel like, like the... two two ninety nine three hundred. They're like, we gotta wrap this up. This this shit has gone on way too long. I mean, you say yanked, but isn't uh, Roy Thomas editor in chief at this point? No, Jim Shooter is still editor in chief. That's right. That's right. Um, um, I'm trying to yeah, see Jim if Shooter maybe would, he gets uh, another credit, but he was technically one of the editors on the on these books. But come two ninety nine, his name basically disappears. Um, and, like, Mark Grunewald and Ralph Macchio were helping Roy Thomas. Like, they get credits throughout as, like, a, you know, story assistant or whatever, I guess, helping him keep all the, the stuff straight. Um, 
Not doing a great job about it, though. No, maybe like all of the, you know, bringing in the research or whatever. Maybe he, they just said, why don't you do the ring cycle? And then they got credits throughout it. But Grunewald and, and Machio take over. And you can kind of tell that the writing gets a little snappier. Uh, and things are like, we have to, we have to wrap this up. We got, we got to get there. Grunewald can be pretty funny. Like I think uh, Grunewald's uh, got a decent uh, sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. So let's Um, talk Celestials. Okay. So as I alluded to earlier, um, there's a Matt Fraction arc in his Thor run where the cele- the ce- there's a Celestial Seed, so the Celestials are returning to Asgard to get the seed that was buried there because all the Celestials ever do is leave shit in places for long enough that a civilization is built on top of their shit and then they get mad about it. Uh-huh. Um, although I guess, you know, we're all just ants to the Celestials. Mm. Um, the answer is just like, most of our life is going to be spent taking apart this ice cream cone. Um <laughs> See, that's a. I just like I wrote a better celestial story, than this. but um, in the fraction story, um, there was this really cool moment that I've never forgotten, where the celestials are like lining up, and one of them is uh, coming to like destroy Asgard. So Odin rides out, and then the two of them just stop floating in space and looking at each other. Uh huh. And Thor asks, I don't remember, Tyr or Baldur, another one of the, the supporting characters, like, um. Wait, why aren't they fighting? Why are they just looking at each other? And the person replies, um, well, you know, when you're that powerful, a lot of your fighting just ends up happening on the astral plane anyway. And then it's this close-up of Odin and his nose is bleeding with, like, the effort and concentration. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, like, the fight was so abstract and, like, cosmic that it only looked like, like lights and colors to the reader. They couldn't understand. Um, and Odin is, like according to Fraction, one step below the Celestials in terms of, like, punching power. Okay. And Thor would be below Odin in terms of power. And so, like, Odin trying his hardest could, like, hold back a single Celestial. And, like, Fraction was, like, really intent on setting that power level and then also making it kind of, like, cosmic and weird and strange. Okay. And at the back, he recommended reading issue 300. Um, And I... For whatever had access to it and I read it and um, I remember thinking it was like groovy and hard to parse issue 300 but so coming back to it it was uh, familiar and this is kind of the story that has the opportunity to fix that goddamn problem of if there are gods then why are there celestials and eternals that are different than the gods but also the same do you think it succeeded no, not at all. Like no. the opposite. If anything, it made it more confusing. Yeah, I I have to agree. Um, they did not do a good job of, you know, answering any of the questions or even like resolving the celestial. Like, why are the celestials here? Or, like, how's the judgment gonna go? They kind of just they're like, we ha- we have to get this sort of Damocles away from us. <laughs> Considering the original yeah. series is over. But let me, uh, where was it? Oh, yeah, at the beginning of 300, they wrap up the the ring cycle. We get the answers. We get the mind wipes, all that fun stuff. Gotta love a good mind wipe. No, I really don't have to do that. (laughs) You you don't love a a good mind wipe? No, it's, like, so played out. I I, I love a good mind wipe. You know what was a good mind wipe? What? 
when Matt Murdock rallied the purple children and they did their tour across America erasing the memories of anyone who knew he was Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. That was a good mind wipe. I didn't see that coming. That shocked me. That is a good one. What was the... This is not a good mind wipe. This no, is this is wipe. not. Oh, right. Uh, we don't even get like a good satisfying answer to why Odin bowed his you know bowed to the celestial like they made it seem like he had made a deal or something is no he just tried to defeat arishem the first time he failed and they went you know what probably shouldn't fight these guys again again this is such an opportunity to tell an interesting story like it would be fractions angle on this was that odin is so much more powerful than other gods because He's an all-father, which is like a whole different class than the other gods. And the Celestials are more powerful than the all-father, but the all-father is more powerful than the gods. And so Odin, like, had this tense relationship with the Celestials because he could kind of knock them around and they're not used to that. Yeah, and, like... That's an angle. That's, like, a... That's a emotional stake of characters in a story. This is not. Apparently, the Destroyer was created to fight the, the Celestials, which... Cool. Yeah, cool. Good uh, tying shit to shit, I guess. I guess. Um, we get to see Odin knock about knock the Celestials a little bit. Uh, he, he pushes Arishem off his pedestal. Very yeah, important. Yeah, that's like a, a dramatic big moment or whatever. But um, yeah, it doesn't have stakes. And I wanted and to we, like it more. I wanted to like it more too. I just, either it needed to feel as giant and cosmic as it's purporting to be or it needed to make sense yeah and kirby's stuff never really made sense but it always sold the giant yeah yeah, even when he was doing like stupid cosmic hulk stuff um oh and this was the thing that i was like what are you doing when gaia shows up it's like i'll sacrifice these 12 people uh and that'll uh save the world from your judgment and Arashem is like sure I could do this like 49 years earlier or whatever you're good I was like alright sure the, whatever uh, thank god the judgment day story finally made this work for me oh, they finally yeah. did it finally um, I do love the names of all of the the celestials though I've always liked the names of the celestials those are the, one of the best parts got Oneg the Prober Oneg the Prober they all they all feel like they're like those people that you see at Shul on Friday night. <laughs> I was gonna say Oneg the Prober sounds like a name that uh, James Gunn would have Chris Pratt say sarcastically. <laughs> it would, but I like it being more like this is the actual name. I don't want I don't want anyone to make fun of Oneg the Prober. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I'm ride or die for Oneg the Prober. Tef for all the surveyor. Um, That's another fun one. He shows up again. I've seen him in other stuff. Um, we're almost out of time for today, but we need to talk about the weird swerve that is 301. Oh yeah, because 301 kind of gets back to the eternal stuff, and this is the issue that maybe it was the last one we read for today, and it made me like mad <laughs> because it introduces. <laughs> The Hindu gods, who are awesome, uh huh. They're they're super cool on the comics page. They're brightly colored and super like uh, have multiple limbs. They f- they feel otherworldly instead of just like a dude in a cape. 
Yeah, and in seeing them, um, and it felt a little bit icky uh, having them be antagonists for Thor, and that really, uh, like, the comic is clearly not rooting for them, right? Yeah, and like, as usual, a lot of the coloring and and placement, like, uh, there aren't multiple different sets of gods in, you know, the continent of Africa. There's just African. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a lot of stuff like that, which, uh... Native American. (laughs) In a better story, I would have uh, gotten the vibe, cringed a little bit, and moved on, but got it. Yeah, it really stuck out to me because uh, of how annoying the rest of the story was, because this all has to do with, like, showing a flashback of a time that Thor and the Eternals were knocking each other around. Yeah, and and Thor's trying to, to now get... A bunch of force from all of the different gods to restore Odin, but like, why? Um, yeah, but also, so the the appearance of the Eternals made me so crazy because this is the first time we're seeing the Hindu gods in the comics, as far as I know, or like this iteration of them, certainly. Uh huh. And the Eternals has this weirdness where it's implied that they are like blonde people who colonized other parts of the world and then posed as their mythologies. Yeah, pretty like, explicitly, is that the... is what they did. They posed but not as in people. this case. Not in this case. I guess not. But it look... just further muddies the water. If the point of the story was this was a time that the uh, Eternals misrepresented actual gods, that would be an interesting story, but that's not what this is. No. But like, and like the Inca, Inca and Aztec gods he goes to both of them those were both ones that were explicitly talked about in annual number seven thor annual number seven as being you know the ones that that the eternals posed as yeah and so um and so uh it feels like even if it's boring it should be just like cleaning up continuity so we can move on but it just does the opposite it's a complete bomb yeah. That blows everything interesting up and then adds a bunch of not interesting stuff on top of it. Yeah. It, real real dull conclusion to what was a pretty dull saga, which I thought would be significantly more interesting than I than it was. Uh but that's okay. I still I still like the Eternals and I think the main failing here is that we didn't get enough Eternals bullshit. I don't know that I agree with. I, I mean, well, I Eternals don't... as in like the whole thing, Deviant Celestials, the whole package, not just like Icarus faffing about and yelling. Yeah, just being like a subpar superhero team. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, next time I feel like uh, the comics. I, I hope they're not boring, right? Because we are reading. We're reading uh, a, a bunch weird, of what ifs. Yeah, we're reading a weird collection next time. So this is when we start getting into the strange eternal stuff that's less collected we're still we're still kind of in well collected territory but at some point we're going to be reading random issues and random runs but right now in the back of so what if ran i believe most of the what if books had like two or three stories in each issue uh and at one point they ran a backup which was eternals and that ran in what if issues number 23 to 30 uh, and then we're reading a story from Iron Man Annual Number Six, and then Avengers Volume One Number Two Hundred and Forty Six to Two Hundred and Forty Eight, 
all of this is collected in the Eternals, the Dreaming Celestials Saga book, or if you've got your giant hardcover Eternals Complete Saga omnibus, and if you decide to go utterly bonkers like I did and find how else could I read if I can't find those, the What If issues were re-released as a one-shot in 2019 called Eternals, Secrets from the Marvel Universe. Iron Man is collected in Iron Man Epic Collection number 11, and the Avengers issues are found in Avengers Absolute Vision Volume 2. This is truly what he does for fun, folks. He loves <laughs> finding trades. I He's do. He's a librarian to his soul. Yep. You got to know exactly where you can get it. But uh, It can be known, and it's worth knowing. Mm-hmm. So that will be our, I guess, the last Eternals thing of the year. I th- Yeah, if is we've that- got it all planned out, the, the episode after that, we're... We're coming back with a with our first break episode, uh, and I think you're gonna gonna really enjoy it. Do do we want to? I want to leave it teased and not say anything. Sure, I'm happy to check in. It'll be a, I like being mysterious. Yeah. And where can they find you being mysterious on the larger interwebs, Jaina? Folks can find me posting on Twitter at rambling underscore moose, and I am still am a regular contributor to multiversitycomics.com, a pretty great website. And uh, occasionally you can find me on other websites, but they're mysterious this week. (laughs) Um, And you, Elias, if if people want to find you, can it be done? It can. They can find me on Twitter at Quetzal-ish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. The origins of that name have been lost to the mists of time. But if you fall down a well and punch an eyeball in the face, you might be able to find out it's 12 different origins. Uh, Yeah, so... We will see you again in a couple weeks. Excelsior.